it's the most enriching experience you'll have to have ownership of your investments in portfolio, um, the way you do with Motley Fool One or, or many of the services. Thing for my family, for our just our peace of mind. We've got some strange interest rate moves, big M&A deals, and some lousy stock performance in Japan. You're in the right place, folks, because this is where the money is. Welcome to the show. It's Monday. I'm Matt Copenheffer. This is David Hansen. David, it's not only Monday, it's the end of the first quarter. It's the last day of the first quarter. Got some big stories today, but first, my bracket, mm. my NCAA bracket. This is probably the last time we'll have to talk about it because I don't care anymore. My bracket is busted. It's over. And I think yours is too. I'm ranked ahead of you, though. For now. I checked this morning. For now. Yeah, for now. But I'm done as well. Zero Final Four teams. Louisville was supposed to come out beat Kentucky. They're supposed mm. to beat Kentucky. And then upset Michigan. Didn't quite go my way. Not your way. Not my way. No one's way. So for but Warren Buffett's way. He doesn't have to pay out the billion dollars. I guess, yeah, I guess that's a positive for him. So for the WTMIers who do not like the NCAA brackets, probably the last you'll hear of it here because I don't care about it once it doesn't involve me. First headline, we're going to the Wall Street Journal. The headline is Parsing Interest rates, surprise, decline, and indeed, particularly on the long end of the interest rate yield curve, we've seen interest rates go down since the beginning of the year. The 10-year Treasury uh, started the year at 3%, Mm -hmm. now at 2.73%. Five-year hasn't really uh, done much of anything. Started the year at 1.72%, now at 1.74%, but we've seen the same 20-year, 30-year falling. That was not the expectation. The, the Fed has been pulling back its accommodation, and everybody was talking about interest rates. That's going what up. they tell us. Yeah, nobody, nobody saw this coming, right? Mm-hmm. Nobody. We saw it coming. <laughs> We've been saying it. Well, Morgan Housel has been saying it for a, a while now. Yeah, hat tip to Morgan. He's the one who's, who's talked about this a few times, and we've brought it uh, to the W.T. Myers on this show on a few occasions. In the past, when the Fed has pulled out its accommodation, we've actually seen interest rates fall time and again. Mm-hmm. So this isn't really that surprising. Correct. And it, it gets a little chicken or egg here, right? Mm-hmm. Because is it, are interest rates falling because people think the economy is going to be worse because the Fed's tapering, or is the Fed tapering because the economy's better? And so it gets a little jargony here, but proves my point that you can't look at the Fed here and make your decisions around what they're going to do and say, taper means higher rates, means worse for stocks. What if you I'm say out. taper means lower rates? That has happened in the past, <laughs> but we can't say... I mean, we weren't, we weren't predicting that this is going to happen. We were just saying it's possible. We were saying just because the taper happens does not mean rates are going to be higher. Maybe you weren't predicting. I was, you, so I'm right. You've been <laughs> predicting all along here. Uh, we've just been saying okay, it's hard to say what exactly is going to happen because that's not the only factor in the equation. Predicting? What do you think? I mean, do, do you think that, this, do you think that this, these lower rates will stand? Are we not going to see that, that increase in rates that everybody was hope, hoping for or expecting? Banks are hoping for them. I would, I would like to see an increase. Would, would you? I don't know if it'll happen, though. Yeah. I, when, when we look at banks, when we look at insurance companies uh, investing in uh, bonds or, in the case of banks, looking to, to lend out on the longer end of the yield curve, that would be a positive. Again, as in the past, it would be a short-term negative because you lose some money on the balance sheet. But longer-term positive for those kind of companies, I would like to see that. I would prefer to see that. And it also is a 
sign potentially that the that the economy is strengthening, mm-hmm. that people are putting their money elsewhere besides these low low rate bonds. Exactly. Second headline. Second headline. It's from Reuters. A string of mega deals drives global M and A recovery in first quarter. M and A is back. Apparently, it's back. Everyone's saying, well, once M and A picks up, then we'll have some good results here. Sort of. Is it picked up enough for you? Sort you of. It's, it's sort of up. <laughs> the number of deals uh, has not increased, but the number of these really big deals, mm-hmm. think like Facebook and WhatsApp, those kind of big deals, was that $19 billion? $19 billion. Those uh, have, have driven the overall size of the, the M&A pool uh, up through the first quarter. What I thought was interesting, when, when you look into, so league tables are one of those things, it's something that the investment banks really like to focus on. The mm-hmm. league table shows who's leading in terms of the, the total deal sizes advised on. That's for M&A, for equity deals, uh, and it ranks them, deal size, fee, that yep. kind of thing. The first quarter in global M&A, Morgan Stanley, number one in total deal size advised. Right. That's pretty impressive. Number one, Morgan Stanley, maybe didn't see that coming. However... When it comes to what maybe really matters for the business and for the investors, fees. Yes. How much fees did you actually That's definitely get what that? matters. Yeah, that's definitely what matters. Morgan Stanley, number three. Mm-hmm. Number one, Goldman Sachs. Yes. Maybe no surprise there. Goldman Sachs tends to do that. J.P. Morgan, number two. So Morgan Stanley getting itself in there on these big deals, but not necessarily bringing home the bacon, you might say. Right, and we have a, a chart here that basically breaks out what does this mean for investors here and how much investment banking fees actually contribute to total revenue here. And Goldman Sachs, of Goldman Sachs, Morgan Stanley, J.P. Morgan, and Bank of America, Goldman Sachs has the highest amount of their revenue coming from investment banking. The fee-generating businesses are 18%, Morgan Stanley 16%, and then J.P. Morgan and Bank of America, only 7% of their revenue here. So when we look at these broad themes of where M&A is going, it's important to say, what does this mean to the actual business? Because it can vary significantly. 18% versus 7% is sure. a big difference here. Well, 7%, not all that much. But one other thing that we can point out here is Bank of America, we talk a lot about the how horrible it was that they acquired Countrywide and perhaps, uh, not perhaps, and, and overpaid for the acquisition of uh, Merrill Lynch. But when we look at the league tables today, Bank of America is a powerhouse now in the investment banking sphere. Not just there, mm-hmm. but a powerhouse. That, that bank is now up there with J.P. Morgan and with Goldman Sachs competing for, for that piece of the pie. That's pretty impressive, and that's a, that's a consequence of the Merrill Lynch acquisition. Yep. So how, how, how long is it until we kind of forget how much they overpaid for that? I until you see it as like, don't, forget, don't forget it. You don't want to forget that. No, that's the kind of thing you don't forget. Right. Because... It's, it's good. We can appreciate the fact that that business is good for Bank of America today, but we don't want to let Bank of America get back to its old ways of overpaying for businesses just to grow. And that's a lot of what it did right. prior to the financial crisis. Final headline comes from Bloomberg. Headline is Abe. This is a class, another classic Bloomberg headline. Abe Bliss broken as foreigners flee topics in biggest drop. All it needs is the colon what, there. Uh, what did you just say? Decode that for everyone. Abe Bliss. So, so uh, Abe, uh, Prime Minister of Japan, has uh, uh, monetary has been using monetary policy to try to turn around the, uh, the, the Japanese economy. And we're now seeing, uh, partly by some actions in Japan, um, 
partly maybe just profit-taking, mm-hmm. if we use some, some, invest- some, some trader speak there, uh, a turnaround in the fortunes of the, the Japanese index. And here's a, a quote from the article. At this, oh, no, no, sorry, this isn't from the article. So, sorry, the reason that, that I was interested in this headline to begin with, we've talked about Wisdom Tree, yes. uh, the, the company that, that makes ETFs, sm- kind of smart ETFs, we'll say. We've talked about Wisdom Tree a couple times in this show. And one of the concerns with Wisdom Tree is that a lot of the recent results have been driven by the strength of its Japanese ETF. And this is, this, I pulled this, not from the article, but from Wisdom Tree's uh, risk factors in its most recent 10K. It says that December 31, 2013, approximately 77% of our ETF AUM, that's assets under management, was concentrated in 10 of our Wisdom Tree ETFs with 35% in Wisdom Tree Japan hedged equity fund, 35% of AUM. As a result, our operating results are particularly exposed to the performance of those funds, investor sentiment towards investing in the strategies pursued by those funds, and our ability to maintain the AUM mm-hmm. of those funds. So obviously a turnaround, a slump in the, uh, in the Japanese market, that's a big concern potentially for Wisdom Tree. And to be sure, Wisdom Tree is down by about a quarter. The stock is down by about a quarter uh, year to date. So my question to you, is this a time to get worried or is this a time to say this is maybe a good opportunity to, to take the weakness and buy on it? I think it's probably the latter. And you talk about it being down 25% this year, but it had an amazing 2013 because of all of the inflows through the Japan ETF here. So it's kind of a, a give and take here. And the way I would look at the Wisdom Tree model here is this, this is still a small company. Yes, they're pretty concentrated in the funds they have. Mm-hmm. But what's to keep them from making new funds and finding where investors want to go? That's kind of... What you're investing here is the management team identifying these opportunities and building funds around them that people will come to. So it doesn't concern me too much. Yes, they're very concentrated in that, but as funds flow out of that, they can potentially flow into a new one through the Wisdom Tree model. So you're saying it's not even about Japan recovering. It's not even about Japan. It's not about that Japanese ETF. It's about the overall growth of the business. I think so, yeah. I think that's not unreasonable. I'm never unreasonable. Oh, I don't know about that. All right, the focus for today, the focus for today is the week ahead. We've got a, a brand new week ahead of us. We do. And I got to say, kind of a slowish week until the end, maybe. Mm-hmm. Uh, tomorrow, we're going to hear auto sales. It's a reasonable economic indicator, um, important for the banks that are doing a lot of auto lending. Uh, MBA Mortgage Index and the ADP Employment Report on Wednesday. Both of those are pretty ho-hum. The ADP, we could look to that to see what we're going to get later in the week in terms of the employment numbers, but usually it's not really that helpful. Where it gets exciting is on Friday, we'll get the payroll numbers. We'll get the payroll numbers, the unemployment rate, uh, compensation information, the current expectation is 197,000 new jobs added in January. Do you think we'll be over or under that, first of all? Going if, over, if, optimistic. You're going optimistic? Based on no evidence. Despite data. <laughs> See, classic. Yeah. You're never unreasonable. Yeah, never unreasonable. Do you think, I, my question is, will anybody really even care? Unless it's a good number. I, I, I think we kind of have uh, a, a free a free turn here, if, if, you can, if I can put it like that. Because if the number comes in positive, comes, comes in over that 197,000 number, that's good news, right? Yeah. 
If it doesn't, what's everybody going to say? Well, this makes it more likely that we won't taper as much. No! <laughs> cold weather! Oh, the cold weather. The polar And the vortex. taper, maybe. Maybe the taper. You're too wonky. See, your head's all up. You say you don't care about the Fed, but that's all you think. Well, what are these job numbers for, like, April of last year? The lag is ridiculous. It's for, it's for January. For January. Wait, wait, wait. No, what? No, it's for March. Okay. What am I talking about? It's for March. Okay. I didn't know if they were, like, revising the... January. The May ones. Holy cow. Uh, no, no, no. Uh, I, think, I think Polar Vortex still plays into these job numbers. That's fair. March is still pretty ugly. Yeah. Um, the, the other thing that, uh, that happens this week, actually happens today, and we mentioned it at the top of the show, is today is the last day of the first quarter. Uh, and so we're not quite at first quarter earnings season, but we're right around the corner now. Um, do you have any initial thoughts on first quarter? I don't Do you care? Do you care? I don't care. I don't care honest. too much, no. I, I think that you said this is a slow week, kind of a boring quarter. I think this is a good time to catch up on some things. We just had the stress test. The 10Ks are out. Mm-hmm. Look at that stuff. Don't look at auto sales. I mean, we mentioned it. We can mention it. But uh, spend your time looking at a 10K that you're, you've been meaning to look at rather than this weekly stuff. That's what I would say. Is there a 10K on your list? Got a lot of 10Ks on my list. Got a long <laughs> list down there. Been meaning to get to them. All right, we what have... What about you? Anything? You have 10K? Uh, Company on your radar for no reason. Well, this one's always on my radar, but I always love reading Mark Hell's annual report, and that report is out. I haven't had a chance to read it yet. Um, it's, it's, it's a business that... The reason I like it is that the core parts of it don't change, yeah. but you had the big acquisition of Altera, uh, that was just that was just happening when they released the 10K last year. So this year, it'll be interesting to see maybe some more some more detail around how the integration of the acquisition is going, how they're thinking about that business. So that will be a, a good one to tune into. Yeah, good call. I didn't know that was out yet. Yeah, it is. Is the letter out too? Because they do the letter and the 10K. Is the letter out written by management? That I'm not positive about. Check up. That'd be good to read. Let me know. We have an email address. That email address is WTMI at fool.com. We have a question from a uh, viewer today, viewer or listener, and that question comes from Twitter. The Twitter questioner is at B Wector. What's the purpose of a REIT having debt when REITs already receive a tax shield from distributions to shareholders? David, got a little bit of a... Got a little bit of a wonky question here. Why don't you break it down and give us some, some insight into the why? I'll try. Why? I'll try. So taking on debt, one of the benefits for a company is that the interest payments can be tax deductible, right? But he's yep. saying, but REIT already has this tax shelter. Why do they care about the interest on their debt? Mm-hmm. The reason is debt isn't always bad. We shouldn't say a company that uses debt is making a bad decision. That's not the case at all. Mm-hmm. Using debt can be great for equity holders because it can increase our returns holding that company there. And one of the situations where you want to see a company use debt is when it has a predictable business where it has predictable cash flows where it can pay its debt. Mm-hmm. You talk about a REIT. Let's think about realty income. They have these uh, standalone properties all over the country, multiple tenants in them, very predictable rental income coming in, predictable business. They can use debt to finance their operations to expand those operations that help mm-hmm. shareholders there. So when you have a predict- predictable business, reasonable debt can be a very good thing for equity holders. So is it, is it fair to say that 
you could simplify that to say that it's an arbitrage opportunity for them. The, the business is somewhat of an arbitrage between what they're earning mm-hmm. uh, f- from their, the properties that they own, from, from renting those out, and the financing costs. And, and, and I guess we could really think about this uh, in any business that we're going to invest in. It's, it's a question of what do, they, what do they earn on the business that they, that they have and how are they financed. Yeah. So when you have the opportunity to finance with debt, which is typically lower cost than equity, that can often be a good opportunity to increase. Right, and I guess it depends on how you want to find arbitrage because it's not completely risk-free. Something could happen to Realty's business there. Arbitrage doesn't have to be risk-free, right? Well, depending on how you define the arbitrage. Okay. If something happened to their business and their rental income fell significantly and they couldn't pay that debt and roll it over, then there would be an issue. But it's pretty predictable, and they have really high occupancy rates at over Realty, so it shouldn't be an issue for them, for example. All right. Uh, going on to the game for today, we've got a little stock quiz. That's our, that's our new Monday game. I, mm-hmm. I'm so fired up about this one. I love this one. love trying to stump We're you. both at 50-50 right now. We've only played it once, but... I thought I got them both right last No, time. you did not get them both. I'm right. pretty sure I did. You didn't. We'll look at the tape. Yeah, let's look at the tape, because I'm pretty sure I got them both. Oh, no, 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 wait. You're right. I only got one. Okay, first question of the day. <laughs> This is my question for you. What percentage of Visa's total 2013 revenue was generated outside of the U.S.? 55%, 44%, 33%, 22%. See what I did there? I do. You like I that? I see what you did. I'm going to go with B, 44%. That is correct. Boom. Explain your rationale. Why do you, was it just a guess? Uh, it actually wasn't a guess. What I remember is that MasterCard, um, MasterCard has a greater international presence than Visa does, and I believe MasterCards is just a bit over 50% in terms mm-hmm. of how much they get internationally, and Visa's was just a bit lower than theirs, so 44% seemed... Uh, good rationale, yeah, 44%. So when you're thinking about a, this is a good example of an American company saying, well, I own an American stock, mm-hmm. 50% of the business is tied to international, so you're getting some exposure through this. Getting a lot of exposure. Well. A lot. All right, my first question involves a... Uh, a stock that you were talking about, a company that you were talking about last week. For 2013, HDFCs, that's the Indian bank, book value grew faster than its assets. True or false? Going to go with true. No, I'm sorry. <laughs> it is false. Uh, the book value or capital, as they put in there in their press release, up 1.1% okay. versus assets that were up 22%. So growing the assets significantly faster then the equity, assuming that leverage isn't out of control, so assets over equities, assuming that leverage isn't, isn't particularly high, this is a potentially a good way to increase uh, shareholder returns, increase the assets more than capital. The, com- the bank does pay a dividend. Uh, it's not a huge dividend, so that wouldn't be the reason for the, the slow capital build. Mm-hmm. Um, but, uh, but, yeah, capital growing much slower than assets. Okay. You got me. Might want to look into that. Thank you. Okay. Second question. Which of these banks has the highest percentage of non-interest-bearing deposits as a percentage of total deposits? Which has the lowest? A, Bank of America. B, Wells Fargo. C, Capital One. D, Huntington Bank Shares. Which has the highest percentage of non-interest-bearing deposits? I'm going to go with... So this is a, this is a two-part yeah, question. It's doubly hard. <laughs> I, I've got to get them both right to get yeah. credit. I should get half credit nope. if I get one of them right. Okay, we'll give you half credit. Okay. I'm going to go with Bank of America for highest, Capital One for lowest. 
That is correct. Got them both. You got them both right. So you got two. Bank of America at 34% of total deposits are non-interest bearing. Capital One, only 11% non-interest bearing there. Because Capital One and their business model, it's harder to attract low-cost deposits because they're... It has been. It has it might been. not continue. trying to. It has a physical footprint, but not the same as Bank of America, so it has to try to pay up for those deposits. Bank of America got the edge there, even over Wells Fargo. That, the, the reason that I, I knew Bank of America was, was high uh, f- across banks, but I figured that you would want to have the surprise element in there. That's why I went Bank of America over Wells One Fargo. One bank that I did not have in there that's even higher than Bank of America, KeyCorp, 37% non-interest really? bearing. Huh. Fun fact. Yeah, that is a fun fact. <laughs> All right, final question. This one is for you, David. ICICI, slightly misspelled there. ICICIs, that's a competing Indian bank to HDFC. Non-performing loan-to-asset ratio is A, 3.1%, B, 1.2%, C, 0.8%, or D, 0.3%. going to go with B, 1.2%. That is incorrect. It is 0.8%, up a bit from, uh, <clears throat> from September when it was 0.73%. So it, it, it kind of seems like the, the non-performing asset uh, ratio there has been bouncing around as opposed mm-hmm. to showing any sort of trend upward. So I don't think investors should get particularly worried about that yet, but worth keeping an eye on when you see non-performing loan ratios start to tick up like that. All right, you got me. So it's in the 66% to my 33. Overall. Oh, oh, overall. Cumulative. You're not going to point out that I got 100% today. No. 100%. You're still failing at 66%. Come on. I got, the, I got the double. I should get double points for that second question. There's no rules. two questions. No rules say that you can't do that. It's two questions. Finishing off the day. <laughs> Finishing off the day in the Twitter sphere. David, cheater, what is our first tweet? <laughs> first tweet is from JW at the JMan3. Interesting 60 Minutes piece tonight on Michael Lewis's new book on high-frequency trading, Rigged. Would be great to hear at TMF Financial's thoughts on this. Did you watch this? You're, I didn't watch it yet. You don't have a TV, do you? I don't have a TV. I have a TV. Everyone's talking about it. Why Should not? It's be? Michael Lewis. Should they be? I, I don't know. I, I just, for, for long-term investors, I, this just doesn't seem, and, and I will have to go back and watch it, but I've done a lot of uh, research on high-frequency trading. I've talked to a lot of people in the industry, uh, experts in the field on both sides, um, and I have yet to be convinced that this is a serious concern for long-term investors. Um, So, again, I'll I'll go and watch the piece, but I think this is something that makes great copy. Uh, It makes a great story Mm -hmm. um, because you've got, like, these... these, uh, Bad guys shrouded yeah. behind the scenes, technology, new, stealing from people. Um, and then you've got the, the unwitting public, so it makes a good story. I just don't know I'm if I'm with it's, you. I don't know. Of course, a, a computer, of the, what's the biggest kind of variable in long-term investing? Someone's psychology, right? And, mm-hmm. and being able to look at the expectations for the future that are being priced in today. And that's something I don't think a computer can do that. Can it? The other thing I'll say about high-frequency trading is that this is an evolution of the trading process of the markets. Mm-hmm. And, and, and I, can ima- I can only imagine that as we went through similar evolutions in the past, like imagine the first time somebody had a ticker tape machine in their own office. 
there were probably people everywhere saying, oh my gosh, this is cheating, the markets are rigged, this is the most awful thing. And here's this thing that's on this incredible delay printing out this, <laughs> printing out this tape, tape on paper. It's like, ah, this is going to change everything, this is horrible. It's just differences of, of where we are in the techno- technological spectrum. Warren Buffett doesn't have a computer in his office, right? Not that I know of. There you go. Take your tape machine, maybe? <laughs> maybe. Second tweet. This one comes from Christine Harper. That's at CR underscore Harper. Scoop. Deutsche Bank said to consider skipping China general nuclear IPO amid hiring probes. This is from Bloomberg. Even Bloomberg's tweets are kind of hard to decipher. Yeah, I guess so. Is that, she, she's a writer for Bloomberg? I would assume so. Okay. Uh, this follows on the heels of J.P. Morgan coming un- under scrutiny for its China hiring practices. Fang Fang, their man on the ground in China, stepped down. Was that just last week? I think so. Yeah, just last week. Uh, saying it was for personal reasons, but kind of questionable whether we're really going to believe that. But anyway, now you've got Deutsche Bank uh, sort of going down the same path. Is it possible that this is just a investment bank doing business in general in China thing as opposed to a J.P. Morgan thing. Sure sounds like it, right? Maybe it's just the way you do business. Though. Who's next? I don't know. It's we'll a see. boring answer. <laughs> I don't know. It's a boring answer. I don't know. All right, get to the third tweet. Third tweet. This is from CNBC Newsroom. Bill Ackman has boosted his stake in Fannie and Freddie. And that's uh, via Scott Wapner. 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 Not, not scared. Not scared of the bills. And we, we talked about this. You, you asked me, if you're Bill Ackman, are you now scared for your position? And I said no, because the investing thesis is the exact same. Not any more than you were before. Not any more than you were before. Completely the same. And he's obviously putting his money where my mouth is. <laughs> well, what? I don't even see how that makes sense. I, I, I will say this. If... Bill Ackman did not have giant steel marbles. He would not be where he is today, so this doesn't really surprise me that much. True. Fourth tweet. This one comes from Great Minds Quotes, my other Twitter handle, at uh, entrepreneurs. That's the, that's the Twitter handle, at entrepreneurs. Knowledge speaks, but wisdom listens. This is Jimi Hendrix, uh, and hashtag quotes. Knowledge speaks... But wisdom listens. We're speaking. They're listening. <laughs> They've got the wisdom. So they, do they have the wisdom? Do they get the wisdom from us speaking? Mm. Is that how that works? Could be correlated. The knowledge is speaking and the, the wisdom just takes, takes it in. There you go. Or, uh, I mean, what, what he left out there is that the could be just hot air speaking. Mm-hmm. That'd be That's you. That's also possible. Final tweet. Thanks. Appreciate that. This is from Susie Welch. She says, opening day, launching my annual... That nattering? Nattering. I mean, my annual nattering campaign to shorten baseball to six innings. Predict wild success, just like last year. She wants to shorten baseball, opening day today, six innings. What is the one rule that you would change to make baseball games more enjoyable for everybody? Wait, you've, you found that tweet? Yeah. Is that, a re- is that real? Yeah, she is that a joke? That. No, she tweeted that. Really wants to shorten baseball? Why would you shorten baseball to six innings? Too long, I guess. What do you want to change? You can keep it at nine innings if you want, but what are you changing? I think that throwing the, the pitcher throwing at the batter should be more a part of the game, mm. and shouldn't the, the pitcher shouldn't get penalized for hitting the batter? 
It's a little dangerous. <laughs> it's a little dangerous. But think how exciting it would get. I mean, think about the, the, the sports that are that are really popular right now that, that get all of the got MMA, got football. I mean, these are brutal sports. Mm-hmm. So you get baseball to where pitchers are trying to throw at the batters. That's extreme. That is extreme. Have they tried that? No. No. They did the XFL. Yeah. The XLB. XLB. XBL. Extreme League Baseball. What, what's your change? I don't know. Maybe. How are you going to ask me and not have an answer ready? Maybe, maybe only having three balls before you get to walk. That'll make it more exciting. <laughs> we'll make Whoa. It exciting. More runners on base. Whoa. More runs. Don't get too crazy. <laughs> that's what I'm doing. <laughs> All right, well, that's, steps. that's the show for today. I'm Matt Kopenheffer. This is David. I'm going to give you two questions and only give you credit for one of them, Hanson. You can find us on iTunes. You can find us on Twitter at TMF Financials. Thanks for watching. We'll see you tomorrow. People on the show may have interest in the stocks they talk about, and The Motley Fool may have formal recommendations for or against. Don't buy or sell stocks based solely on what you hear.